Hey friends, this is Maggie Elmer from the Spirit and Truth podcast, and you are about to listen to a talk by Carolyn Moore that she gave at our first Spirit and Truth conference in Mobile, Alabama. This talk was amazing. Carolyn talked about doing the Jesus stuff. It was a beautiful preach and exhortation, calling the church to deeper trust, intimacy, and empowerment in the Holy Spirit. At the end of the talk, Carolyn led a moment of corporate inner healing, and we've decided to leave this moment attached to the talk for this podcast for a couple different reasons. One, if you've ever been curious about what inner healing may sound like, this is an excellent example. Also, we just believe that prayer works, and Perhaps this is a moment where you too can experience a touch from the Lord and have him speak into something, an area of your life where you need healing. So I just encourage you to listen and to, if you feel led, participate. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this, you guys. And thank you again to Carolyn Moore for being our conference speaker at the Spirit and Truth Conference in Mobile, Alabama. You know, when you don't know what else to do in your life or in the church, you just praise. You just praise Him. Somehow just like fixes everything. <laughs> you know, because that's what we're made to do, actually. It's just like woven into our very DNA. I'm, uh, I'm so, so grateful to get to introduce you to our guest speaker for tonight. Uh, but she's not, I don't, I'm not going to call her a guest speaker. She's like part of our family. And um, I don't actually remember exactly how we first crossed paths. So probably in some Methodist circle or something. I don't know, a new room or something. Uh, but Carolyn Moore is an amazing uh, leader in the church, a uh, prolific author. She, she, she gets around more than just about anybody I know. She, she, everyone wants her to come and speak. And so... Uh, the fact that she was able to come and carve out some time and be with us this weekend is a gift um, that maybe we don't even realize uh, how, how great that is. It's just a, it's a gift. Um, here's the thing I would say, you know, like you can read her bio by Googling her if you want to. Here's the thing I would say that I, is more important than that. Uh, when I interact with her just as a person, as a fellow believer, it's not a game for her. This is not a gig. It's not a show. It's not a job. This is actually who she is. She's deeply committed to Jesus. Sacrificially doing everything she can to invest in his bride. And when she talks about the spirit, she's not talking in the third person. She's talking about the very life that she lives. That's why I listen to what she says. And I pay attention when she talks. Because I know it's real and she's actually living it. And so she's going to come and um, come now and just share a word with us. And I know that the Lord's going to speak through it. Would you help uh, me welcome Carolyn Moore? So kind. So kind. Thank you. That's all the kindest stuff ever. Um, I really love being here with y'all. I really love being here with y'all. I just drove, or I flew in 
last night I spent Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at Asbury University. They have the one-year anniversary of the outpouring, of the beginning of the outpouring on February 8th, I think it is, so just in a couple of weeks. I've been there four times now, and it's been so interesting to watch how their, the response of the students has changed, and especially uh, pre-outpouring versus now. And what I noticed this week about those, those students is they had zero desire to, to do the thing, to do the Christian thing, <laughs> because it was what was expected. But there was a lot of sweetness and a lot of depth in their response. And a year later, Hughes Auditorium st is still saturated in the, a very sweet, I mean, it's the sweetest feeling of Holy Spirit I think I've ever felt in a room carried by a room itself really beautiful so I'm kind of floating in here on that one and uh, and thrilled I get this you know the first half of the week I get to be with students the second half of the week I get to be with you what a joy what a joy thank you for being in the room tonight I am borrowing a phrase for what I'm going to share with you tonight from John Tyson he's a pastor in um, in New York, he's written a book called The Jesus Stuff, and I, I like that phrase, The Jesus Stuff. I haven't even read the book, I just stole the title. <laughs> and I'm borrowing some thoughts from Francis McNutt, an Episcopal priest who first taught me from a distance most of what I know about healing prayer. In a little book called The Prayer That Heals, he asked some questions that helped me a lot to understand why it took me so long to open myself up to the Jesus stuff. I, I wasn't raised in a Pentecostal tradition. I was raised in a typical United Methodist church where we knew the word God. A few people talked about Jesus. Nobody talked about the Holy Spirit. So I didn't, I just kind of have, have absorbed this along the way, most of it because of desperation. So I want to ask you a question. Some, some of uh, the questions that, that, that McNutt asks of his readers, um, just as he, as he would uh, travel the country and, and, and diagnose the people in front of him. Um, the first question is this, how many of you can remember your own father praying with you or over you in his own words? Raise your hands if you can remember your father praying with you or over you. So I'm seeing maybe half a dozen, okay? Um, how many of you can remember your mother praying over you or with you in her own words? And there's a few more who can remember that. Okay, this one is a little more vulnerable. Um, so it's just us in this room. We're all safe in here, right? Um, how many of you have had the experience of praying out loud with your spouse in your own words other than at meals? Oh, wow. Yeah, this is a spirit and truth room. That's why. You just busted the curve. Yeah, that's awesome. If you can, if, if you can, I can tell you, this is just a mark of how incredibly unusual this movement is. If you can answer yes to any of those three questions, you're in the minority. McNuck said that over the years of speaking to crowds across the U.S., he noticed that only about 3% of people could remember ever praying with their father, 20% could remember ever praying with their mother, and almost no one could remember praying with their spouse except at meals. And McNutt's point, I want you to hear this, it's not to shame us, for the, for the lack of prayer in our families, but to help us understand why we practice religion as we do. 
See, if my father never felt close enough to God or confident enough to pray out loud among his own family, then that behavior travels. My faith will likely be private and tentative too. If, only, if the only prayers I heard at home were formal prayers at meals, my relationship with God will likely be more formal, less intimate. And maybe the biggest lesson is, if I've never learned to pray informally for anything with the people I love most, then I may never see the hand of God move in miraculous ways. Not because he doesn't do it, but because I never trusted him enough to pray. I may never see the Jesus stuff in wider circles because I never learned it in my most intimate circles. Does this make sense? Now, let me encourage you, just by the fact that you have come to spirit and truth and that you're in this room and that a lot of you raised your hands and you've, you've broken the generational curse and are doing this in your own homes, that tells me you, you want the Jesus stuff to be a present reality in your world. You want it to be part of your world. And that means you have such a great opportunity to develop a culture of healing because you already, and a culture of miracles, because you already have a hunger that puts you in the minority. So let's look like what that can look like for this community, for those of you who belong to Stillwater Church, and for your community, for those of you who have come from other places. It's true that even if you are here as the sole representative of your church, you all by yourself can be a change agent in your community. That's true. So to help us get a biblical foundation for what we're talking about, I want to start with the stuff Jesus did. What stuff did Jesus do? This was his mission statement in Luke chapter 4, where he quotes from Isaiah 61. I'm going to read this for you. The spirit of, and, you'll, and this, will make, this will sound very familiar. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was the mission of Jesus. And in the reading of Isaiah's prophetic word, Jesus became empowered by the Father for this mission. So he got up from that place and he began to do what he'd said he'd been sent to do. Matthew chapter 9 verse 35 says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. That's the stuff Jesus did. So much of the story of Jesus' life is taken up with this work. And the stories we read in the Bible are just a representation of all Jesus did while he walked this earth. I want you to listen. to It, it, it blows my mind. The deeper I dig into this part of Jesus' life, which is really most of Jesus' life, how is it that we thought that a that a, an hour in church and a prayer before meals was the center of the Christian faith? How did that ever come to be the standard? And yet in our culture, in our American culture, that defines Christianity for most people, for most households. But listen to what Jesus actually did. He healed rich people and famous people 
And people with power. He healed the son of a royal official who was close to death, and he, and he cured a centurion's servant who was racked with paralyzing pain. So he touched some very public lives. But most of the time, it was just ordinary people, poor people and regular people, and people whose names nobody knew. He healed people who believed in God. He, he healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. He was always getting in trouble for healing people on the Sabbath, sometimes right there in the synagogue. He, he once delivered a man in a synagogue who had an impure spirit. He healed a woman in a synagogue who had been bent over for 18 years, crippled by an evil spirit is how the story describes her. I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. He healed a woman in a synagogue who had been crippled by an evil spirit, which means, which means she must have been among believers for 18 years and somehow never got healed. Just her story alone ought to be motivation enough to be here tonight so that never happens again to someone who walks in the midst of us desperate for healing. So Jesus healed people who believed in God, and he also healed people who didn't believe in God. He healed one guy who was paralyzed because someone else believed it could happen. And there was that beautiful story of, heal of Jesus healing a man's son who suffered from some kind of demon possession that caused seizures. The man wanted to believe, but he begged Jesus to help his unbelief. And there was a Greek woman, not Jewish, who came to him because her daughter had an impure spirit. He healed that girl too. He healed a lot of people who were dealing with demons. We get at least 25 individual stories in the Bible, but there were many more people than that. Matthew says people, people brought Jesus many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word. He healed all who were ill. He delivered a demonized man who was living in a graveyard, ostracized because of his crazy sometimes chained up, totally dehumanized. He delivered a demon out of a boy after his daddy begged Jesus for help. Sometimes he would heal someone and nobody knew about it. Other, and other times he would heal very publicly, whole crowds of people. One time he healed 10 men at once who had leprosy. Another night he went on a jag and, and he healed many who were sick. Mark tells us he healed many who touched him. He healed them of diseases and impure spirits. In fact, Mark says he healed everyone who touched him. So think about that. Think about that if you died, went to heaven, and found out you had walked right past Jesus and never touched him. Even worse, if you died didn't go to heaven and realized you'd walked right past Jesus and never touched him. That day he ransacked the temple 
That same day, he healed blind people and lame people. He, he seemed to have a thing for people whose senses were impaired. There are a lot of stories of people who couldn't see or speak being healed by Jesus. He healed a man who was blind and mute, another man who was deaf and mute. He, he healed a man who was so blind that it, and his blindness was so stubborn that it took two tries. Well, there's something about that story that moves me. Even for Jesus, sometimes it took more than one prayer. Surely not because Jesus wasn't able, but because sometimes there are things going on in that other person that are just complicated. Jesus healed a man whose blindness was so much a part of him that people knew him as blind Bartimaeus. And one time he healed a man who was born blind by spitting in his eyes. I love that story. I just love that story. I mean, like, it's like, let me, I can do it with anything. Watch this. <laughs> Look, here's a quarter. <laughs> right after that, according to John, he healed another blind man, one whose story became a line in the most famous song of all time. You know the line. I once was. Yeah. And Jesus healed people who had weird stuff going on that totally disabled them. People with leprosy, someone whose hand was withered, a man whose body was swollen, a woman with a chronic blood disease, a man who had been laying by a pool for years, unable to walk, just waiting for somebody to notice him. It's like my mom used to say, Jesus had a bad case of the can't help it's. In, in Mobile, I bet you say that, don't you? <laughs> Listen, he even healed the, the ear of the high priest's servant while he was being arrested when one of his own people cut it off. Put that ear back on. Nobody loses an ear tonight. He raised a widow's son from the dead. Another time, he raised a man's daughter from the dead. Another time, he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And another time, Jesus, Lord of the universe, master over the natural world, victor over the darkness, raised himself from the dead. Amen. Come on. Jesus, our Messiah, raised himself from the dead. And that miracle, that healing, is how he is now able to share his power with anyone who wants to take up this healing work. He won that authority, and now he wants to share it with those who follow him. He first gave his authority to heal to the 12, the ones we call disciples. He called them together, and he gave them power and authority to cast out demons and cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick. And then, when those people got the hang of it, Jesus appointed 72 others and sent them out into towns and villages. He told them, heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. That was before he was raised from the dead. 
Taking, after he was raised from the dead, he took back all the spiritual power and authority that had been stolen at the fall. After his resurrection, he shared that whole mission from Luke chapter 4 to preach good news to the poor and proclaim sight to the blind and deliverance for those who are oppressed. He gave his followers that mission and then he gave them the Holy Spirit, which means that now we have the power and authority of Jesus. The same power and authority he had when he walked this earth to cast out demons and cure diseases and proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick. And friends, that is the center of the Christian faith and the power of it. That is. An hour in church and a prayer before meals. Give me a break. That's not it. Meanwhile, somebody's sitting in some church somewhere for 18 years. Bent over, spiritually sick unto death. And nobody knows how to do the simplest thing. And just lay a hand on them. And you know, like, like a, I can't remember the guy's name now, um, Pilavachi. Mike Pilavachi says, even if, even if nothing happens, nobody dies. <laughs> Just in case you think that work, everything we just talked about is for the few and the weird, you know, the others. It's not just some people who get the power. Peter says, Acts chapter 2, all the people, all the people. In Acts, we watched the beginning of it. The disciples are doing the Jesus stuff, healing people with the word, seeing miracles everywhere they go. They learn how to look people in the eye and cultivate compassion for them. It's not an arrogant, hey, watch what I can do kind of ministry they have or some kind of show of blind power. It's more like, listen to this, it's more like a revelation. Like, oh, wait, wait, God isn't going behind me trying to fix everything I've broken. God actually wants to go ahead of me and use me to fix a broken world. Come on. How awesome is that? I need to say that again so you don't miss it. God is not going behind me trying to fix everything I've broken. God actually wants to go ahead of me and use me to fix a broken world. You see, you hear that? It's a fundamental difference in theology. It's a difference between a, a, a theology that promotes shame and guilt and a theology that promotes power and freedom. And I'm going to tell you, my Methodist friends, and even if you're not a Methodist friend in here, you're in here, so there you go. We are a theology of freedom. He has walked us right into it. I mean, it's just like you've walked us right into it. God showed us what it looked like while Jesus walked the earth because that's how God wants to do it. God wants to empower you and me to do the Jesus stuff. So why does he want to use us when he could do it himself? Here's my answer. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's not the way I would have done it. I'm an Enneagram 8. If you didn't do it in the first five minutes, I'd have done it, and then I probably would have fired you, okay? That's just the way I'd have done it. 
<laughs> but I am not God. Let's all say thank you, Jesus, for that. I don't know all the reasons why God refuses to heal the world without us, but I do know at least this. God wants our prayers. He wants our laying on of hands, maybe even needs them, or at least has chosen to need them to do his work of making a broken world, world whole because this is one way and maybe the best way God teaches us to love people like God loves people. Being all up in someone else's healing is how we love people well. You know how when the credits roll at the end of a movie and there's those bit parts with names like man who talks too much or obnoxious street vendor and there's this, there's this person's name next to it who played that part and somewhere in the world there's a family gathered around a screen watching that movie to see that bit part and when that person's name scrolls at the screen they all cheer because their person played a role in that film. You know what I'm talking about? All those people we just named who were healed by Jesus those people were actual people with families and stories. The guy with an evil spirit runs on the credits. Had a grandmother who made sure he ate a meal every day. And the child with the disease had a mother who was desperate for her. That blind guy had a family. And the lame man had friends. And their stories proved not just the story of Jesus, but the heart of God. He loves people. And he wants to teach us how to love people. And Jesus seems to show us that this loving is not a natural thing, but a lesson in the supernatural. Francis McNutt says, no matter how weak you may feel as a Christian, no matter how lacking in the ability to create a beautiful prayer, it makes no difference. God hears. And it's not just that prayers are answered, it is also that I seldom love other people so deeply in a real and non-possessive way as when I pray for them and see them change right before me. And I seldom experience the love others have for me as much as when I break down, confess my own weakness, and admit to my friends I need their prayers. In the kingdom of God, no one is forgotten. Everyone deserves to be loved like Jesus loves them, which is with a desire to see them made whole. John Wesley called it practical divinity. It's the art of simply doing all the good you can in all the ways you can for all the people you can for as long as you can the way Jesus did it. So what I hope you can hear is that what Jesus did is what Christianity is actually all about. It's about helping people become whole by believing Jesus is still doing today what he was doing when he walked the earth. So I want to make a bold statement. Christianity without an emphasis on healing and miracles is faith without substance or compassion. You ought to write that down. 
Christianity without emphasis on healing and miracles is faith without substance or compassion, which James would say is no faith at all. So we've gotten a start on why Jesus did the Jesus stuff, but let's take that a little farther. Look at Luke chapter 7. I always say this at home, the best way to engage the word of God is with the Bible open and something to write with. Wow, there's a bee right there, walking out there. Get it, get it, get it. Send him to heaven. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> He's up there going, I know. I thought this was a healing service. I probably really does not do anybody any real blessings either when I'm up here preaching and preaching and they go, get it, get the thing, kill it. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Luke chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to, to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. You should underline that whole business of what he just said because Jesus was really impressed with that answer. So we should be really impressed with that answer too. Whatever I say, my, my, my servants do. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found that kind of faith even in Israel. And then the men who had been sent over, uh, returned to the house and found the servant well. So this scene teaches me that Jesus did the stuff to expose and cultivate faith in the authority of Jesus. The stuff was, first of all, about trusting Jesus had authority from God to do what he was doing. It's not smoke and mirrors. That's, it's not smoke and mirrors. It's God given power and authority over the darkness. Jesus wasn't under any illusion that miracles and healings would win anybody over, or not everyone, he said as much. He said there were some people who wouldn't believe no matter what they witnessed. But in most of Jesus' healing stories, even the people who didn't like it couldn't deny what they saw. Healing stories expose and cultivate faith in the divinity of Jesus. Look at verse 11, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. 
the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. What he really meant was, don't mourn. Then he went up and he touched the bier they were carrying him on, the bier. And the bearers stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up. Ooh, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe. <laughs> the dead man sat up and, and, um, and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with all awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. Underline that. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So maybe even more than cultivating faith, Jesus healed because this is the character of God. Jesus did the Jesus stuff because God has come out of compassion, out of his pure heartedness to help his people. In Jesus, we learn that God wants to help his people. Why? Why does God want to help his people? Because he loves us. That's right. Not because you're just that messed up, but because he is just that in love with you. Which doesn't mean you're not pretty messed up. But it does it because he's in love with you. So Jesus healed because he was the in-breaking kingdom of God. Theologian Jürgen Moltmann was right. After the proclamation of the gospel, the healing of the sick is Jesus' most important testimony to the dawning of the kingdom of God. Verse 18, John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, evil spirits, gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, you go back and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. <laughs> so on the runway, leading up to this scene, a widow's son is resurrected. The centurion's servant was healed. And then after this scene, We'll see a sinful woman forgiven. These stories and all the other ones we just talked about, that's what got back to John and caused him to wonder if this might actually be the guy. What John asks teaches me that for someone who has eyes to see it, Jesus is recognizable by the stuff. Which makes me wonder if someone were to look at my life I mean, just watch me and report the stuff they saw me do. Would I be recognizable as a follower of Jesus by the stuff I do? If you turn the sound off and just watched me, which makes me kind of laugh, just me. How would someone know I'm a follower of Jesus? Because I talk about him a lot. 
But if they were just watching, would they have enough evidence to ask the question John asked Jesus? Are you the real deal? Or do we need to keep looking? People who are in search of community and a Christ to believe in are asking that question every week. Are you the real deal? Or do I keep looking? So Jesus said, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then one of my favorite lines, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Or blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I love that last line so much. Jesus gets us. He gets that being faithful is going to offend someone. It's why I so often say, don't hold back because you're afraid they think you're crazy because they probably already do. I mean, just look at yourself. What makes you think they otherwise were going to think you were an amazing, almost Nobel Prize winning person? They don't. You and I, we are normal people, probably a little on the crazy side. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah. Not, not you, the person sitting next to you. That's who I'm talking about. But don't look at them. Don't look right now. Eyes up front, eyes up front, eyes up front. Friends, in this current culture, we are the crazy ones. This Jesus stuff will offend the person who doesn't understand, who feels threatened, whose unkindness is exposed, who's, who is uncomfortable with truth, who gets nervous around passion. But listen, I have a feeling it is that spirit of offense that keeps us from bearing good fruit, either because we're the offended ones or because we are so intimidated by the offended ones. But you know what? I just want to make a... I just want to make a, a sermon illustration out of our sweet friend, that little wasp who was up here just a minute ago. <laughs> you know, just Amen. and move on. <laughs> and that's not a person under your hand right there. That's the enemy of your soul. That's the enemy of your soul. His last ditch effort as you walk up to pray with a total stranger, it is his last ditch effort to get you to stop. And so he whispers meaningless, baseless lies into your ear. They won't believe this. They'll think you're crazy. You don't have this power. You're not the one who's anointed. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Why did Jesus do the Jesus stuff? He did it to prove he has authority from God to talk about the kingdom. He did it to show God's character to us. And Jesus did the Jesus stuff to prove who he is. He did it because fruitfulness exposes Jesus unjealously, unswervingly, peacefully there unafraid of what is broken in me that so desperately needs his healing touch. It is Jesus who teaches me to be a friend of the people around me who are broken just like I am. So no one is left without hope. 
And that's why we do the Jesus stuff too. So how do we do it exactly? Well, we do it by doing it. <laughs> that's it. That's it. You should write that down so you don't forget that part because that's deep. <laughs> we do the Jesus stuff by doing it. Just turn and tell you to your neighbor so you can help get it in your head, that deep theological point. You do the Jesus stuff by doing it. And now I want you to just turn to your neighbor again and say, well, then quit complaining and do it. <laughs> because that's it. There's no way to get comfortable with and more aware of how God works than to jump in and just get started. You don't have to be gifted in some special way or have a degree or even have a great passion for it. For that matter, you, you, you just, just do it. Just do it. And yes, it will be messy. That never really goes away. But that's just how it is. And that's okay. That's okay. I remember the very first time I did healing prayer on someone other than the person I had been practicing on it with. Just the two of us, we've been, because we figured, you know, just keep it in between us. If something goes really messed up, we just won't, nobody else will know. So it was, it was a counselor, a, a, ther a psychotherapist and I, who were both trying to learn healing prayer, and we were doing it on each other. And I'd gotten this amazing, amazing healing in, in healing prayer. I mean, like, God came and drew a line to what was at that time a present-day anger and irritation with people in authority and something that happened in my childhood. He, he drew a direct line. Something, I, didn't even, I didn't even remember this thing in my childhood. And after that, you couldn't make me mad with the person in charge. Incredible, incredible, incredible healing. So right after that, I have lunch with this person, uh, so another person, and we're, we're in standing in line at a restaurant, and she's asking me how I am, and I said, I got to tell you, I just got this amazing healing. I just saw Jesus show up, tell me what the lie was, speak the truth into my life. I got this huge healing. I've never felt so free. All the anger is gone. And she said, oh, I want that. And I said, I know. And as soon as I learn how to do it, I'll come back and find you. <laughs> and, and she said, no, I want it now. And she's walking away from the line. And I'm like, where are we going? She goes back to the church. We go back to the church. And we're sitting in the chapel at First Methodist where, you know, what? There? And, 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 um, and, and we're sitting there. And I, and I just start, I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. But I said, all right, let's let Jesus be in charge. And we just did it. We, I, Lord, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You live outside of time. You're able to stand in her memory, what she would call a memory. You're able to stand there right now. And you're able to see what she may not be able to see. That place, that place in her past where the enemy slipped a lie in. Can you show her that, Lord? Can you show her where the enemy first spoke a lie into her life? And I said to her, just tell me, tell me when you hear something. And we sat there, and we sat there, and we sat there. And it felt like 
forever. It's probably 30 seconds. <laughs> and finally, I said, are you hearing anything? And the whole time inside, I should say, inside, I'm like, you're a fraud. You don't know what you're doing. This is spiritual malpractice. <laughs> and then I said, did you hear anything? And she opened her eyes and she looked at me and she said, now I know the power that raised Lazarus from the dead. And I was like, seriously, I was like, no way. Really? Because I felt nothing. You saw that? You felt that? Tell me what it was like. What? And then Jesus spoke his truth into her life. And a year later, she was still good. 30 years of anger toward her mother. Gone. Gone. The professional therapist union of the world do not want this to happen. <laughs> Will you let me tell you one more? Because this was just huge for me. I did it, I got to the place where I was doing it with rooms full of people. And I hadn't actually thought about doing it with this room. But can I do it with this room? So I'm going to tell you what I did, and then I'm, we'll just do it. So, so I just did that thing. You know, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He lives outside of time. So outside of time, this is a pretty deep theological concept, but outside of time, there's not the sense so much of past, present, and future. Jesus is able to, while we call it past, present, and future, Jesus is able to see all of it. It's how he can foreknow. And so um, what we ask Jesus to do, he's in charge. It's just to, you know, there are places in us that are broken. We don't even know why they're broken. Why am I so angry at the world? Why am I so judgy about people? Why am I so, uh, why do I feel so insecure or insignificant or inadequate? Inadequacy is usually a a big one for men, that's the word for men. A lot of times for women, it's unworthy. And um, never enough, never enough. Weighed in the balance and found wanting. But whatever your lie is, we just ask the Lord, just show us where that was first spoken into our lives. A lot of times it's when we're children when we don't really have the mental capacity to, to, um, to incorporate the things that are happening to us and to make sense of them. And and right there where something rough happens, the enemy just, it's like a, a crack in a pot. He just slips a lie in. And um, just to see, sort of like, a, sort of like a, um, a, a splitter in the bottom of your foot, just to see how much irritation he can cause. And, and most of us just kind of learn to live with it. We grow up, but there's that little thing. Every time you step on it, like a splinter in your foot that never got pulled out, it's like... And, and there's those places where we wince, where we blow up, where out of, out of the blue, or where we, you know, we, 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 we get addicted to something, or whatever it is, that, that man, however it manifests. And then after you, he speaks, he tells you what your lie is. Then he'll tell you what your truth is. And, and, and we ask Jesus to take the lie out and to replace it with his truth. And he doesn't do it for every person or every time. It, it doesn't always happen. And in that case, we count that as a grace because God knows when you're ready. He's so merciful in that way. Just because somebody's standing on the stage, God is not commanded to do whatever we ask him to do. 
So I was doing this with a group of women in Seattle, Washington. And there was a woman there. Her name was Cheryl. And Cheryl had, uh, she'd had two strokes in the last year. I think it was had probably been in the last year. And one of them took out one of her eyes. Um, she, was, she was actually blind in one eye. And she'd been to the doctor multiple times. They said, it's sort of like when a lightning goes through a tree trunk. It's, it's gone. That tree, it's not coming back. Um, and it caused all kinds of other problems for her. It caused vertigo. It kept her from being able to drive. It meant she had to be dependent on other people to get places all of a sudden. Sent her into a deep depression. So it was really, really rough for her. And she'd come to this retreat. And... Um, and I didn't know, I didn't know Cheryl, didn't know anything about her. So I'm doing this healing prayer time. And, and Cheryl, whose name I didn't know at the time, know it now, um, she got this healing in this prayer time. She, she'd heard that she was unworthy and, that, and that, that that was the lie and that God was telling her she was his beloved child. And she went home that day and she told her husband, I got a healing today. I have not felt this light in years. She went to bed that night and she slept all night. Best sleep she'd had, she said, in ages. And she woke up the next morning and she noticed that she could see her husband in her peripheral vision on the side that had been blind. So she wakes him up. She says, oh my God, I can see. They spend the next two hours doing eye tests, you know, <laughs> trying to... Somebody picked me up. I was preaching at this church. It's a big church, big Pentecostal church on the West Coast. It happens. Also a miracle. And, um, <clears throat> and, uh, and, 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 and they picked me up to, so I can preach on that Sunday morning. And, and they said, did you hear what happened to Cheryl? And I was like, I don't even know who Cheryl is. What happened? She got her sight back. And I'm like, don't really understand all of this. But we get to this big church. And the first thing they do before they ever do the call to worship, they bring Cheryl up on stage. And Cheryl tells them, y'all, I got my sight back. I've been healed. And everybody's just, wow, it's amazing. And she walks off the stage. She has one of those disability things that you hang on your car. And she hands it to me and says, I'm not going to be needing this. I'm driving home today. And I think, oh, that's great, but I'm not riding with you. <laughs> a year later, I'm back at that church, and I see her for the first time. She's at the other end of the hallway from me. And now our stories are all intertwined. And so we go running toward each other, you know, Hallmark movie style. Ah! And we grab each other and we're hugging each other. And I said, Cheryl, did it stick? And she said, I just came, from, I had my ophthalmologist one year checkup two weeks ago. And he said, I have juvenile eyesight. I did not have juvenile eyesight when I was a juvenile. God didn't just heal what was broken. He made all things new. <laughs> Philosopher Iris Murdoch talks about having a just and loving gaze. Training yourself to look at people, to see what God sees, 
to pay attention to what God is doing in other lives. The trick is learning how to be other-focused. So we're not projecting our own stuff on other people, but really paying attention to what God is doing in the lives around us. And then when something shows up that looks like something Jesus cares about, pray. Or as McNutt says, speak to Jesus and ask him to heal. That's it. That's all healing prayer is. Speak to Jesus and ask him to heal what's broken. And as you do, rest your hands on those you pray for. Francis McNutt says this is also remarkably simple that it's hard to understand why more Christians have not been doing it. Basically, all it involves is having compassion and love for people, believing that Jesus has far more concern than you do, as well as the power to do something about it, speaking to Jesus and asking him to heal, and resting your hands on people. You have nothing to lose other than pride. And they have so much to gain. So I just want to speak to Jesus on your, on your behalf and ask him to heal you. Would you get comfortable, set everything aside? If you would, just so that you can focus, not feel quite so self-conscious, close your eyes. Jesus, who lives outside of time, understands the things that have happened in your life that caused broken spaces. And he knows the lie, and he is so much more willing to heal than you may even be to be healed. So I wonder if you would just allow yourself an open, posture toward an open heaven. Lord Jesus, here we are in this room. Some have come a ways to get here, Jesus. And I want so much to have a heart for them. I just want to have a heart for them. I want them to to get healed tonight. So Jesus, I ask if you would walk them back. Each person, each person, would you walk each one back through the cave of his memory, her memory, to that place where a lie was spoken. And will you, who are in this room, will you let Jesus do that? And if you see the place, if you get to a place and you stop there, just raise your hand. Just Lift it so I can know what's happening in the room. That's all I need. And you can put your hand down when you're done. But as soon as I see it, I see it. We're in no hurry. I don't want you to feel like you have to try hard. And I want you to remember that if you see nothing, that's grace too.
Sometimes memories come with emotion, and that's okay. Okay, we're, we're going to move on now and just ask Jesus. Jesus, will you, um, will you help? We're going to stand in front of this memory. Would you help us to right-size it? Jesus, you're right here with us. We're not alone. This thing that we may not have actually looked at in the face for a long time or maybe even ever, help us to see it as you see it. Not as a big scary monster, but just as an irritant. A hard thing, but certainly not greater than your power. Help us to right-size it, Lord. And then, Jesus, would you help us to hear the lie that was spoken into that moment when we experienced it? What I want to ask you in this room to do is to listen for the lie. And if you hear it, just lift a hand so I'll know what's going on in the room. If you feel tears or have tears, I want you to know that the Lord counts those as precious. That is just as good as healing oil. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us these lies. I pray that you would bind them and release them of all power over us. God, we, we see them as lies. This is a lie. This is from the, the father of lies and not from you. And we ask you now to remove it from us. Will you just remove that lie and replace it with your truth? And we'll listen, God, as you speak your truth, as you, Jesus, Lord of the universe, guardian of our hearts, as you speak your truth over us. And as you hear it, you in this room, would you lift a hand so I'll know what's happening in the room. Okay. So kind, Jesus. So kind. So kind. So gentle. Thank you. Thank you. I just invite you to make that your prayer right now, just as you continue in prayer. Just thank you, Jesus for speaking your truth. Thank you for your grace over my life. Thank you for the word you shared. Thank you for guarding my heart tonight, if that's what was needed. Thank you for your patience with me, if I'm not able to hear it right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So while we're still in this place of prayer, I just want to ask one more thing, and that is if, if you think you heard something pretty significant or you felt some shift or you, you think you might have gotten a little bit of a healing there, would you just lift a hand? Just, just lift your hand so that I can see what's happened in this room. Okay. Yeah. There's quite a bit of healing that's happened in this room. That's, that's, that's beautiful. 
That's beautiful. So Lord, we just ask you to gather all this up. Would you close any spiritual doors that need to be closed? Uh, we trust that you will leave open any doors that you've opened tonight. I ask you to guard every heart in this room so that no one leaves, so that no one leaves feeling anything less than blessed by your presence. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to ask you to do this because I've, I've found that it's pretty important that we not just jump to the next thing when something like this happens and there's been a healing. Um, so can you just turn to the person next to you and share with them what you experienced? If you experienced nothing, that's perfectly, that's, that's an honest answer. I didn't, I didn't get anything tonight. If you, if you got something but you don't want to share in detail, that's fine too. We're not going to take long, just a, just a couple of minutes. But if you would just turn to somebody and share what your experience was just now. Has everybody had a chance to, to share a little bit? So I wonder if I could just, is there, are there one or two people who are bold enough to say, what's the truth that you heard? Okay? Jesus still heals. Yeah. Amen. 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 Thank you. Yes. You are good enough. Praise God. Come on, give a hand to that one. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Is there anyone else? Just call it out. I may not see your hand. I am his child. Amen. Come on, give a hand. Yeah. See somebody... He's never going to leave us, which you could personalize and say, he's never going to leave me. <laughs> he is never going to leave me. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. It is so simple that it is surprising why more Christians have not been doing it. It is so simple that it's surprising that more people have not been doing it. That, what you've just experienced, just one way that people can get healing. What we're about to do is probably a more traditional way where some healing prayer ministers are going to come here and stand in toward the front of the room. And if you like healing prayer, they're going to lay hands on you and they're going to pray for you, speak prophetically over your life. But let's not limit our good, creative God, the most creative being in the universe, in a room with the most creative being in the universe, you are probably not the smarter person. He is, he is making new possibilities all the time. So stand with me. Lord, for the healing that you've done, I give you thanks. And for the healing you will do this weekend, I give you thanks. And God, for the example of Jesus, for the obvious, beautiful, blessed example of Jesus, I give you thanks. For the body of Christ, I give you thanks. And even when I don't understand it, God, I thank you that you refuse to do most of this work without us. Thank you. Thank you that you respect us that much, that you love us so much, that your heart is always partnership. Thank you, Jesus. All honor and glory is yours. Amen.
So now you have an opportunity. I'm going to ask those who want to just lay hands on people, healing. Do we have some healing prayer ministers just toward the front? If you'd like to come, there's a, there's a kneeling area here. You can pray. You can, you can ask someone to pray over you. If you've got something that's weighing heavily on you, a burden, then this is your time. This is your time. You're invited to come. Thank you so much for listening to the Spirit and Truth podcast. And thank you again to Carolyn Moore for being our speaker at the Spirit and Truth conference held outside of Mobile, Alabama. If you are interested in attending a Spirit and Truth conference, you have one more opportunity to do so this year. We'll be having our final conference in April held in Dayton, Ohio at Stillwater Church. Go on over to our website, spiritandtruth.life for all the information on how to register. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast because we will be dropping all of our great conference audio content here. And um, that'll include the rest of Alabama. You'll hear the talks from Conroe, which we just finished. We had Kevin Watson speak at that conference. We had great preaching and um, fascinating panel discussion. So there's a lot of great stuff coming your way. Be sure to subscribe and share this episode with a friend. And we'll come back to you in the next conversation.